Hello, welcome back to another quickfire episode of the Scouted Football Podcast. Uh, we've been inundated with handbook preparations, a whirlwind end to the season and various bits and pieces over the last month or so, but we've managed to squeeze in another pod for you today. Uh, this episode is coming straight from what I imagine is the idyllic and picturesque Austrian summer in Vienna, as I'm once again joined by Lee Wingate from the brilliant team at the other Bundesliga, who cover Austrian football in depth more than anybody else I know. Um, we chatted earlier in the season at what was the midway point about some Norwegian striker who was pulling up trees in Austria's top flight, powered by a, a hearty helping of pre-match Red Bull, amongst other things, I imagine. Um, I wonder what became of him. Uh, now, with the Austrian season concluded for the 2019-20 campaign, we thought it would be great to speak with Lee once again and, and get his appraisal on the league from an, from an under-23 perspective now that now that all's said and done. Lee, welcome back to the Scouted Football Podcast. How have you been? Thanks very much. Yeah, thanks for, for having me back, Joe. Um, yeah, things have been good here in Austria. I think we've perhaps got off a bit more lightly than other countries with the, with the whole corona lockdown. and We had our league resume. Uh, after the corona break and, and conclude with no problems so yeah things are good here thanks no that's good to hear yeah it's, it's been a strange one really and, and I suppose it's a rapid finish to the league campaigns all across Europe no pun intended of course um, but <laughs> since since we last spoke there's been an awful lot that has happened in the world of Austrian football um, and I mean, it, at the time that we recorded the first episode, it felt like a matter of days afterwards um, that a potential move for Erling Haaland kind of accelerated uh, through the gears and, and he did end up moving to Dortmund. Um, what's it been like covering the Austrian Bundesliga without, you know, this the, the gargantuan presence that is Erling Haaland in it? Well, it's obviously left an, an Erling Haaland-sized hole in the league. He was a great player here, but he was only really you know, playing that well for a, a period of around six months. He burst onto the scene in August and then, you know, he was gone by by Christmas. And I think his departure has also given other players uh, a chance to flourish. I'm sure we'll talk a bit about them later. But the likes of the Zambian striker, Pats and Daka, um, and, and Sekou Koita and, and Karim Adeyemi as well. So obviously it has been a blow and Salzburg definitely suffered immediately post the winter break. They had a real slump and that that let Lask take the lead at the top of the table uh, briefly. But, you know, they did ultimately recover and, and other players have shone in his absence. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, has it felt like something's been missing, given that he only really played there in the first team regularly for six months? And and, and I suppose it has allowed you to focus perhaps more on, on other stories and other players um, that had understandably been given a little less airtime because of how, how imposing that he was. Um, Patson Dacker is one that, that you, you mentioned there. What, what have you thought of him um, just in this second half of the campaign? He's a joy to watch. He really is. Uh, he's a very intelligent player. I like his movement on and off the ball. Really good finisher as well. Good, uh, good with both feet. And I think he really suits Salzburg's style of play just because they like to play fast and in transition. That's kind of the sort of the key words for Jesse Marsh's tactical strategy. And he, he's really a good fit for that. I have to say, kind of surprised that he didn't leave at the, the end of this season because I knew that Timo Werner had left RB Leipzig to go to Chelsea. And then you start to think, OK, well, which players are, are RB Leipzig now going to get from Salzburg, as they usually do? And I have to say, I was kind of expecting Patson Dacca to make that move this summer. In the end, it was his teammate, He Chang Huan, who, who's gone to Leipzig. But yeah, it's lovely to have him here for another season. It gives him another chance to develop and, and hopefully to play some more Champions League football next season too. 
Yes, certainly. I mean, Red Bull Salzburg are always going to be the primary reason that that we at Scouted discussed the goings on in Austria purely because of their conveyor belt of talent. You know, it's well documented there, as well as, you know, an area that, that Pat and Dacca will be very familiar with, and that's that's their peerless and unmatched recruitment in, in Africa. Um, and I think, you know, that during that first six months of the season, um, you know, Dacca was, was playing well, but he was very much playing the role of understudy uh, at Salzburg and, you know, has really shone and flourished since the departure of Haaland very much like a like a tree that had been shadowed um, by a, a much larger tree uh, and now it's getting the sort of the sunlight that it's that's deserved um, and you mentioned there was a little brief slump after the winter break um, from Salzburg which allowed Lask to, to capitalize on that following Haaland's departure but I think especially in the the post lockdown period um, the goal scoring train didn't really seem to slow down all that much for Salzburg I think all competitions they scored 140 something goals um, you know what what has it been like to, to you know see such a, a free-flowing attacking team which has just been punctuated by so many exciting young players throughout the entire season well first of all you're you're very much right about the the high scoring in total in the league, I think, the proportion of those goals that came in the league was, I think, was 110, which is the most scored by any club in any of Europe's top 12 leagues this season and the joint most ever scored in an Austrian Bundesliga campaign. So I think that kind of puts into perspective just, just how good they've been going forward. Um, and, you know, I watched, I've only been to actually live at one game uh, since, the, since the lockdown, but that was a rapid Vienna home game against Salzburg where Salzburg won 7-2 and literally blew rapid off the park. They were devastating going forward. And it's just great to watch because there are so many talented young players, but they also fit so well together. There's a real, there's thought behind this. They are not just simply throwing a load of young players on the pitch and hoping them to do well. But that game in particular really highlighted to me just how good they are going forward. I still do have a couple of doubts about them defensively which I think sort of reared their ugly head in their Champions League group stage campaign I think they they may have done a bit better this season had they not had those defensive frailties but but really going forward they're they're a very top heavy team and, and, and a pleasure to watch yeah Dakar's uh country mate and, and close personal friend Enoch and Wepu he's not an attacker he's more of a um a defensive midfielder and, and he's also enjoyed a good end to the season um I believe he got engaged as well so it's kind of went well on and off the pitch um but given that he is in in the position that he plays you know the fanfare I suppose is is naturally diminished ever so slightly in compa- in comparison to to Dakar the striker um, I suppose, given the time of year with the transfer window just opening up, you know, it's quite natural to, to begin to discuss, as you mentioned just then, you know, where the likes of these Salzburg players could eventually go uh, across Europe. Um, and I suppose with um, with with He Chan going to to Leipzig, that means that you know you'll probably get uh, Dakar in in Austria for another season, um, provided that he doesn't have a Haaland-esque six months in the first half of the campaign. Um, and and Mwepu as well, you know, between now and October, what what do you think is sort of his his uh, long term plan, and and what do you think the club's long term plan is for these for these two players in particular? I, I think the club will want to keep them for as long as they can. And to be honest, I think that Mwepu will stay. He's really this has been the season where he's had a chance to establish himself in the starting lineup because the likes of Antoine Bernard, who usually plays in central midfield for for Salzburg have had sort of an injury hit campaign and he's really been able to get some regularity and some game time. I think he made 25 appearances in the league and 36 in all competitions. And uh, I think he'll probably stay for another season. 
I think he's also a very intelligent player, which is something that, that gets overlooked. So Jesse Marsh has, has been using him in a different role since the lockdown, where he's been a central midfielder, but he's also been dropping back between the, the two centre-backs to, to build the play. And he's looked very comfortable doing that as well. So he's an intelligent player. He's tactically versatile and he's good technically too. He's got, he's got a lot of, uh, of good attributes, but I do think he'll stay here for another season. Yeah, he does look like he's got a lot in his locker and isn't just, you know, your typecast number six defensive midfielder. I think, you know, showing that versatility, particularly in a period where, you know, Salzburg were, you know, still going for the title. It was all but wrapped up by that point. But um, yeah, he still had to perform. So I think the trust that, first of all, Jesse Marsh has placed in him there is reflective and it's perfectly reflective of um, the trust that he's placed in all of these young players. And I suppose the, the trust that the project that Radbill Salzburg have, have been undergoing, you know, the trust that he's um, that, that Marsh has been shown to blood these players. And um, I think that's that, that's only a, a positive thing to take. And if, if those players are, are remaining for the next season, then they're only going to be able to build on that and develop further. Um, I suppose with the first half of the season being dominated by Haaland and the second half perhaps being dominated by Dakar, I suppose you could split the, the, the second half of the season into pre-lockdown and post-lockdown. Um, and uh, there's another player at Salzburg, Dominic Soberslag. He could probably feel quite shortchanged at being passed over for, you know, the league being dominated by Dakar in the second half of the season because his post-lockdown form in particular was absolutely fantastic. He scored um, all manner of goals, including free kicks, uh, you know, these little shimmies on the edge of the box, um, left foot, right foot. There was there was loads. Um, and he got loads of assists as well, ultimately winning a player of the season in the Austrian Bundesliga. Um, personally, I think he was perhaps the beneficiary of some recency bias with that award. Um, but what what are, your, what are your thoughts on on Soberslai and sort of his his uh, maybe a slow start to the season and then really kicking into gear towards the end of the campaign? Well, recently I listened back to the the last episode that we recorded with you around December time, and and in that episode I actually said that I hadn't been overly impressed by Dominic Soberslai in the first half of the season, and that impression pretty much held until March. Like you say, after the the Corona lockdown, he has been absolutely excellent the the standout player for for Salzburg um he's been linked understandably on the back of that form with a move to you know the likes of AC Milan Arsenal and, and lots of other clubs um, he's obviously a very good player he's a good dribbler he's good with set pieces he's got an amazing right foot but i do agree with you in the in the the recency bias argument because if you look at his his output and his stats for the whole season he got nine goals this season seven of them after the lockdown he got 14 assists, 11 of them after the lockdown. And to be honest, I feel like he's really benefited from that when it came to, to this vote for, for coach and uh, well, for player of the season and, and Jesse Marsh also winning coach of the season. I feel like there were some other very good contenders that could have won both of those awards. Yeah, it was kind of was a clean sweep for, for Salzburg there. And, and you were just mentioning that, obviously, um, you know, with with the transfer window opening up, there's going to be links for, for Soboslai to a number of clubs. And AC Milan is one that you mentioned as well. And interestingly enough, I, that's uh, the, sort of the main one that I'd seen him linked with too. Um, I mean, there's always no smoke without fire. But first of all, do you think that he needs another year in Austria to consolidate his quality in the minds of top European clubs and perhaps his coaches? Because, I mean, I know you'd probably like to keep him there. He's, he's brilliant to watch in full flow. But with that... He hasn't consistently done it over the entire, well, the 11-month season, as it turned out. 
you know, do you think that he's probably going to need an extra six, eight, nine months, perhaps? I mean, I don't think his quality is in doubt, but I think his consistency is. And I think mm-hmm. there will be several suitors that would perhaps like to see him perform more consistently over the course of a whole season before they pay big money for him. Of course, as as is the case with many Salzburg players, they could, you know, they could get a really sizable offer in and they could be sold straight away. But I feel like he would benefit from from another season here as well. And a season where perhaps he would have a bit more of the limelight because, like you say, he didn't really have that much of it last season. Yeah, and he has been one that... Um as you say, you know, in terms of consistency, perhaps when I said quality, that was the wrong word. You know, he is he is a very, very talented player. Consistency, as you put it, is definitely the way to, to describe it because I think it's one thing being a standout in the Austrian Bundesliga and perhaps being a standout in some games, uh, but then sort of taking it to the next level, say, for example, if he was to go to AC Milan, you know, he is, he is perhaps going to have those games where he's going to be an absolute star, but the consistency may be an issue. And if you're paying, especially in a post post COVID market, you know, if you're paying upwards of 20 million realistically, which could be, could be a price that's being touted for, for a player of his quality and potential, given that, you know, he's only 19 still, um, or may have just turned 20. Um, you know, you're going to want a, a bigger return on that. So yeah, I can see, you know, another season being beneficial for him. Um, when I was when I was preparing for for this episode, uh, I, I did find myself coming dangerously close to just listing each of Salzburg's exciting young players and and you know the season that they'd had and asking Lee to you know to uh, to give your appraisal on them. Um, but you know we won't do that. It wouldn't be doing your knowledge of the league in general a, 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 a disservice. Um, so we're going to break scouted rules actually for for once uh, and break ranks here a little bit by talking about a player who's 24 and doesn't belong to to Red Bull Salzburg. Um, and this will come as no surprise to, to you, Lee, but it's Sean Weissman, um, who's obviously the, the Israeli centre-forward, uh, Trump, who trumped both Dhaka and Haaland uh, in the goal-scoring charts by scoring 30 for Wolfsburger uh, in the league this season, which is pretty impressive at any level. Um, you know, what, what, did you, what did you see of Weissman? Because I, I don't recall um, discussing him in the first episode uh, when he was still 23. Uh, we, might, we may have done. Um, I may have glossed over that. Um, but yeah, what are, your, what are your thoughts on Weissman? I think most of the conversation last time was understandably dominated by, by Haaland. But when I was talking before about uh, Soboslai and there being other good contenders for the Player of the Season award, it was Sean Weissman that I was thinking about. He has been absolutely brilliant this season. Uh, he's the first player to reach 30 goals in the Austrian Bundesliga in the last five seasons, actually. And it wasn't just goals. He got eight assists and, and 37 goals in all competitions this season. So when you think that he joined on a free transfer from Maccabi Haifa last summer, it's an amazing piece of business that, that Wolfsburg's done. And uh, he, he, he himself has just been a pleasure to watch. He scored all manner of goals sort of scissor kicks, cheeky finishes, headers, which for his height of, I think, 1 meter 75 is, is not to be understated. Um, he's, yeah, he's just been brilliant. I can't, can't speak highly enough of him. And uh, to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Wolfsburg struggled to keep hold of him this summer. Yeah, because 30 goals in any league at any level is, is if, first of all, you have to be fit for enough games to, to score 30 goals, which is obviously a lot of the time it's down to the player himself, you know, to look after himself. Um, so there's, there, there is that element to it. 
but there's also the consistency to find you know the as you mentioned there scoring all types of goals you know the i i think one of the things that i that i spoke about pat sandaka in, in his um handbook profile was that he does score you know very much uh, the goals that other strikers don't score because of his his athleticism and he'll always get his leg to a a shot that another striker perhaps might scuff I mean, I haven't seen too much of Weissman, but I get the impression that, you know, he is uh, a striker who is, you know, always going to make the most of not poor opportunities or poor chances created, but, you know, an opportunity which another striker, maybe not playing in their pomp, might not score. Has has that sort of been reflective on the pitch that he's come across as this really confident, swaggering player? I think he's definitely come across as a as a player where, you know, people are sitting up and taking notice and, and absolutely saying, wow. Um, because you just, if you're not a Salzburg player, you just simply don't score this many goals in a season. So mm. I think there's been a real recognition of his talent, and and as a result, there have been you know rumours linking him away, uh, linking him with a move away from from Wolfsburg this summer. I think first Celtic was the the main club that were linked with him. In the last few days, we've been reading a lot of reports that the Galatasaray are interested as well. But um, I think it's important to remember for a lot of your listeners that also probably follow the major European leagues that the Austrian clubs really operate in a different economic sphere, Salzburg aside. And I was looking at a list of Wolfsburg's record transfers earlier today, and their record transfer for an outgoing player is, is €800,000. So mm. when you look at someone like Sean Weissman, who could potentially bring them in four or five million euro, which would absolutely smash that that transfer record, it's hard to see the club being able to to turn down that kind of money, really. And even you suggest that four and five million for a player who's just scored thirty goals in in a league season, thirty seven overall, on top of that eight eight league assists, you know that is. I mean, even if you, you know, replicate half that output in, in, in you know, a more competitive league uh, and, and one that's more high profile, um, you know, that's still going to be a successful move, even for four and five million. Um, so, yeah, there's there's plenty to su- suggest that, you know, he'd do well um, on a consistent basis. And then, you know, 30 goals is not just a, a one hit season wonder. Um, I don't know how credible the links to Celtic were, but I did also see those. Um, I haven't seen the ones linking him to Galatasaray, but I suppose that's because, you know, obviously based in the UK, you're based out there in Austria. Um, so you're going to see more of that. What else has really been said? Has there anything been coming out of the Wolfsburg camp? In terms of, you know, is is he actively angling for a move or is he very much content to just see how the transfer window plays out? Well, I think that, I mean, he said at the start of the season that one of the biggest reasons for him coming to Wolfsburg was that they were playing in the Europa League and that gives him a platform to shine on. He, he specifically used those words and they finished third for the second consecutive season this this year which means that they'll be playing Europa League again next season. So obviously that is an, an appeal for him. It's another chance for him to, to stand out. But I feel that he's probably not going to say no to a, to a move away if it's offered. I'm, I'm close friends here with a, with a Wolfsburg fan and he is absolutely resigned to, to Weissman going. He says that he can't, he can't foresee a scenario whereby a player of, of that quality would, would, would stay with Wolfsburg. So I think the club... Although there haven't been any noises coming out of, of Wolfsburg yet, I think the club are probably resigned to the fact he will leave at some point in the summer. Mm. I mean, it looks that way, doesn't it? And, and of course, they'll be they'll be happily compensated for it. But of course, they're going to lose that type of player.
of course, the the second part of the season was was split by the COVID nineteen pandemic, with you know games stopped in March and then resuming once again um, a few months later. And and the title race was was very much alive and, and well going into the break, um, last leading the table in fact. But they they fell foul of the pandemic rules set by the league, um, which culminated in a points deduction. Um, Lee, you're much better placed to cover this in detail than I am. I know very much the basic facts, but um, you you know from covering such, I mean, this must have been sort of one of the stories of the season for for you guys at the other Bundesliga. What happened there with Lask? Well, like you say, going into the point where the season. Um, so the regular season ends and then the championship and, and relegation rounds start. So just to, for any of your listeners that aren't familiar, what happens here is the 12 teams in the Bundesliga all play each other home and away. And then the, the league is divided into a top six and a bottom six and the points are halved. Um, so at that point where the league split, Lask were top of the table and they were playing very well as well. They just got through to the, the Europa League last 16, playing against Man United. And they were were top of the Austrian Bundesliga, like you say. I went to the first game back after the winter break, and it was a potential early title decider, really. It was was Lask against Salzburg in Salzburg. And Salzburg were on this crazy unbeaten home run in the league that stretched back three and a half years and I think 53 games. And Lask won that night. They ended that run, and they were absolutely incredible all over the park, just fight they were showing so much heart so much passion but they were tactically well organized they got some good goals they they broke on the counter and they were very impressive and then corona happened and like you say they they fell foul of of these rules which had been implemented which were basically stipulating that there was to be no contact in training sessions um until further notice and it was basically revealed or the the news broke that Lask had trained four times with full contact during the during the coronavirus pandemic. And the league subsequently deducted six points, which meant that having gone into the, the corona uh, break three points ahead of Salzburg, they were subsequently three points behind Salzburg. Um, that punishment was later reduced to four points on appeal. But you have to say that, that Lask never really recovered from that. If you look at their... Their 10 results before the Manchester United game in the Europa League, they'd won seven, drawn drawn one and lost two. Their 10 results after the United game, they won just three, drew one and lost six. Mm. And their, their their title challenge basically fell apart in the space of a few weeks. Now, they were going for their first title since 1965. And and if any year was going to be their year, it was this one with Salzburg slipping up after the winter break. So it really was heartbreaking to see that their their kind of campaign fell to pieces in such a short space of time. But, you know, I don't know what the reasons necessarily were for that. If it was all, it can all be attributed to this, this training scandal. But I think, I think as well, I, I spoke to quite a few people back home in England and explained, hey, this, this team that was winning the league, they've been deducted six points here for, for training behind closed doors. Um, and they, a lot of my my friends I was talking to said, well, well, that's that seems like a bit of a harsh punishment. But mm-hmm. there is there is a real it's a cultural thing as well. There's a real respect for the rules here. They have a phrase, "Ordnung must sign," like there has to be order. And you could see that culturally during the coronavirus pandemic, when unlike many other countries, people weren't gathering in crowds, people were respecting the rules. And I think culturally, it was really seen as a 
as a bad thing for them to have done because they've been given this privilege of being able to train again and being able to restart the campaign and they'd abuse that privilege ultimately so it was a shame but I think they did make their own bed really yeah I mean I I wasn't aware that they trained four times with the contact I I remember seeing a a headline saying that they had trained um but yeah four times is kind of you you're kind of asking for a punishment there if, if you do get found out and I suppose a points deduction is is harsh um considering how infrequently we we, we see in in the UK and, and other leagues um you know points deductions handed out but I suppose if if the rules are there in place then you know they're, they're not to be trifled with and if other teams could could um could keep to them then of course then you know they're, they're getting an unfair advantage so I can see sort of both sides of the argument, you know, the the, the sadness that, that Lask kind of tailed off as a result of that, um, but also because, you know, the, 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 uh, the, uh, there must be order, essentially, as, as you said. Um, I remember we, we also spoke on the, the previous pod about Valerian Ismael last time around, uh, the Lask head coach, and, and his brand of football, what, what he was sort of implementing at Lask, um, who obviously at that time were really pushing Salzburg for, for that league title. Um is it fair to say that things haven't been all that rosy towards the end of the season between Ismail and, and the club officials, in part due to due to the issues that we just uh, alluded to? Well, actually, uh, three weeks ago, Valerian Ismail left his role as head coach, mm. um, which which came as uh, as a big surprise to especially to me, Tom and Simon, the the three of us who are who are doing the other Bundesliga podcast. We were a bit flabbergasted because how can that happen when a club, you know, runs Salzburg really close for the title, gets to the cup semi-finals, and 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 does really well in Europe as well. Especially when you consider that that they were down in the regional leagues a few years ago. So we really couldn't believe it. But uh, there have been reports since emerging um, that uh, basically a lot of the senior players spoke out against him, that they weren't happy with him. And I think perhaps when results were going well before the Corona break, things like that can sort of be overlooked. But when results are going badly for you and you know, players are the players are against you. Then I think that leaves you in a in a bit of an, an untenable position. So ultimately, mm. he, he left, and he's been replaced by Dominic Talhammer, who is who has been for the the best part of the last decade the head coach of the Austria women's national team. So he's he's a very promising coach, and and I'm sure he'll do a good job. But I think that the departure of Ismail did raise a lot of questions, and especially the manner in which he left as well, because basically. Reports came out from very reliable sources uh, about three weeks ago, Sky included, saying that, that Valerian Ishmael has left the club. Lask were denying it. And Ishmael had actually basically was so angry with the decision that he'd been dismissed, that he'd gone to the press before the club had. So the news was out there and, and Lask were denying it. And I think we all knew it was coming. But at the same time, I do feel a bit sorry for him because... Earlier in his career, he was with, with Nuremberg and Wolfsburg in the German Bundesliga, didn't do overly well. And Lass just seemed to be the right fit for him. And he did a very good job here. So it is a shame to see him leave. Yeah, I mean, I do remember seeing uh, at the time the the whole um, has he, hasn't he, has he gone? Um, and hearing it from you, the, the fact that he's gone to the press before the club have had the chance to officially announce it. You know, that's 
that's clearly something that's really irked him there. And you can understand, really, if you'd done so well in the season, you'd been the victims of a points deduction and, you know, the you, perhaps dressing room relations had broken down. You know, you, you're going to be a bit frustrated on top of everything that was going on in the world outside of football anyway. So, yeah, you can see that that, that situation wasn't exactly going to be too conducive to a good working environment for any party there. But I mean, that situation hasn't, you know, hasn't held Lask up in terms of doing their transfer business. Um, they've, they've already brought in a Danish midfielder from Silkborg, uh, 22-year-old Mads Madsen. And aside from from sounding like one of the villains in Die Hard, is that someone you're, you're expecting to to play a first-team role next season, given the the one and a half million euro fee that's been paid for him? I would imagine so. Um, I don't necessarily think that there's a hole in the last midfield. The only two players that have left this summer are Samuel Tete and Jao Klaus, who are both forwards and whose, whose loan spells have ended. So I don't necessarily think he's been brought in with the specific idea of directly replacing somebody. He'll probably be gradually eased into the team. And it's just, you know, bringing someone in who's 22, it, 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 you know, it injects a bit, of, a bit more youth into the team, which is always nice to see. Um, so I can imagine him playing quite an important role next season. They've also brought in a uh, 20-year-old forward, Mamadou Karamoko, from the VFL Wolfsburg Reserves. And another player that I'm particularly excited about, who is uh, Yevgen Chaberko from Zoria Luhansk. So he's a, a central defender. And uh, I've read reports that Lask basically met his €300,000 buyout clause, which obviously seems seems to be quite cheap. But uh, he, he's quite versatile. He can play at left back, centre back or as a, as a holding midfielder. And he's been the, the captain of the Ukraine under 21s as well. So it'll be nice to see that, that they've got these players, basically the spine of their team. They've got a new centre back, a new central midfielder and a, a new centre forward for next season. So that should help them, especially as they'll be, you know, be aiming to challenge on, on multiple fronts again. Yeah, when I was when I was sort of doing my research for this pod, I saw um, I'm not going to try and pronounce his name, but the the Ukrainian central defender um, who joined and his name sort of rung a bell because you know he he played for the Ukrainian youth national teams and they've been so good recently, um, winning the the under 20 World Cup uh, last year and the season before that, getting to the semi-finals of the under 19 Euros. And there are some really good players there um, in, in the youth youth ranks you know the likes of Vitaly Mikolenko, Denis Popov, um, Valery Bondar you know they, there's a lot of good young uh, Ukrainian defenders and at senior level they've also been excellent um, in terms of being a really miserly presence um, to to opposition teams you know they, they haven't conceded a great deal of goals in the past you know one or two years so I think there's definitely some credence there to say that that €300,000 uh, uh, buyout clause, probably very low considering the, the pedigree that, that he has um, and, and, and also the, the Ukrainian youth national teams. Um, on, on the pod the first time around, I, I can't remember if it was you or Tom who, who dropped the name Yusuf Demir. Um, because at, at the time that, that name didn't mean very much to me apart from the fact that he was um, he was a 17 year old right winger at Rapid um, who'd been on on the fringes of the first team there um, but since the restart uh, from from the post lockdown period he's came off the bench a few times and I keep seeing his name pop up on team sheets in, in flash scores app and it just jogged my memory um, unfortunately I haven't actually had the time to, to get to watch him um, but uh, it, from from your privileged position, you know what what has he been like on the pitch when he's started to make these few um, few appearances? 
Well, I think to, to give it a bit of context, the reason that he and, and several other younger players have been featuring a lot more since the lockdown is not only because they are very capable players, but also because there's been a real injury crisis at Rapid. So the game where they lost 7-2 to Salzburg, which I think was their biggest home defeat ever in the Bundesliga, um, they had something like 10 or 11 players out. So obviously that's going to give players like Yusuf Demir a much better chance of playing. But that's not to diminish his qualities as well. Like you say, he's 17 and he is just not afraid of, of running at anybody. He's, he's, I think he's featured in five of the, the 10 league games since, since the restart. And he just, yeah, he's not, he's not afraid. He likes to carry the ball, take people on. And I think the, the rapid Vienna play is a lot more vertical when he's on the pitch, just because he's, he's much more direct than perhaps some of the other, some of the other players in the rapid squad. And there's a couple of other really good players there as well, young players that are worth the mention. There's a centre-back, Luca Grimel, who's 19. And he played in, I think, all but one of the last nine games of the season. He's, he's one to watch out for. I think he's probably, of all the young players at Rapid, perhaps his, his potential is the greatest. And then there's Kelvin Araze as well, who's really come onto the scene this season. He's a, a really sort of pacey right winger. He's played 29 times in total and he's he's a really established member of the rapid squad now so um yeah i think we'll, we'll see a lot more of those those players next season really you mentioned the the 7-2 game between um rapid and, and salzburg was that the same game in which uh there was an injury within the first three minutes um a player came on to replace the injured player after three minutes um and then that same the substitute then went off after about half an hour because he himself got injured was that that same game I can't actually remember if it was that if it was that game because it's been such a recurring yeah. trend in, in <laughs> rapid season. There's honestly been questions asked about you know how are they training, what's going wrong here, because there have been so many injuries to to all parts. This literally decimated their squad for the final portion of the season, which makes it all the more respectable that they finished second, which is their I think their highest finish since 2015. So. Well done to them in the end. But yeah, they were really struggling to, to get out a team and some subs by, by the end of the season. And um, one thing that um, about that particular game that I would add is I don't know if you saw the goal by Zlatko Junucevic in that game, but it, it went, went viral on the Internet. And if anyone has a moment to spare, I would highly recommend that you search for Junucevic versus Rapid on YouTube because it's the greatest goal that I've ever seen live in a stadium. To, to describe it to describe it briefly, I mean, I was sitting right behind the trajectory of the ball, so the, the view couldn't have been better, but the Dominic Soboslai took a corner. And I don't know if you remember that Paul Scholes volley against mm. Bradford, yeah, where yeah, David yeah. Beckham crossed the corner and, and um, Paul Scholes hit it straight on the volley from outside the box. Well, it, it was similar to that, but the ball travelled a lot further to the far corner of the penalty area. And Zlatko Junucevic met it with a volley that especially because there's no fans in the stadium, you really hear everything. And you, you just heard it hit the crossbar, bounce down and bounce up into the roof of the net. The, the keeper did, did not stand a chance. And um, yeah, I was literally off my feet in the press box. It was, it was an amazing, amazing goal. So if anyone, if anyone has a chance to, to look out for that, I'd, I'd recommend doing so because I think it could be a contender for the, the Puskas Goal of the Year award by FIFA. Yeah, I, I remember that as well. Um, because the 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 corner that Soboslai puts in, it's kind of it, it's kind of looping, isn't it? It's so high and it's dropping from a height. You know, the, the ball's probably got snow on it, um, and Yunusovic just just hits it, and you think 
you know that's that is some strike um and pretty much just the way that you've described it is exactly how how i would have put it um yeah if you yeah, definitely go and check that out if you uh if you're looking for for a, a goal that's very similar to like that paul scores one or even the uh in terms of how high the ball the ball comes down from zinedine zidane against uh Bayer leverkusen in the yeah. 2000, 2002 champions league final um very similar very similar strikes um but yeah I've, I've seen speaking of you you know being in the press box and stuff i've seen on the other bundesliga account you know you guys have been going to the grounds amidst there being no fans allowed of course you know covering the games getting your temperature taken etc you know what's all that been like has it been a bit odd and surreal i mean it, it i think it is what it is now and we have to accept that if we're going to be privileged enough to go to the games then we we have to go through this so it, it basically involves yeah, your temperature being measured at the gate, signing a form to say that you've you've had no symptoms of corona and you've not been in contact with anyone who has. And then when you get up there, is there's a very clear sort of demarcation within the stadium of um, areas where you're allowed and not allowed to go and the distance between you and your colleagues. So yeah, it is all a bit surreal, but we're just we're just happy to have football back in in some capacity. The people I really feel for are, are the fans because. Uh, you know, you don't realise just what an impact fans have on a football match until there are none in the stadium, especially when you go to the the Rapid Vienna Stadium in, in Hütteldorf, where there are always these amazing sort of TIFOs in the in the West Stand. And uh, to be without them, it's it's a real shame. And also not just the fans, it's, it's really harming the clubs right now, because as, as I mentioned earlier, um, we operate here in Austria in, in just a different economic dimension. The, the the financial resources are, are so much lower and a lot of clubs have, have really really suffered as a result of, of not being able to have any any fans in the stadium i think there are plans to to slowly reintroduce them now but the you you can't really underestimate the the financial loss that, that those clubs have incurred yeah definitely definitely so um and and the the sooner that that fans are able to get back to stadiums um safely uh, uh the better for, for for the entirety of of the footballing world and, and the and and obviously that'll be reflective of a much better global climate as well very briefly we're just going to return to fc red bull salzburg because um ahead of next season there are of course you know transfers signings already being made um Salzburg have acquired Samson Tijani from Collins Edwin Sports Club in Nigeria, um, which, again, is them flexing their ability to to recruit from Africa. Um, he's 18 years old and I'm led to believe a defensive midfielder. I haven't watched him myself. Um, but would you say that, you know, that sort of preparation for, for when Enoch Mwepu eventually does move on and, you know, which which players from from what is effectively their B-side FC Liefering in the second tier, you know, if Tijani goes into that FC Liefering side, you know, which which players do you reckon will be sort of pushing to make that step up to the first team squad next season in sort of the way that Karim Adeyemi has done this year? Well, like yourself, I don't actually know too much about Tijani. I've read a couple of scouting reports and I know that he's sort of quite a combative defensive midfielder and he's, he's got a good passing range. But but other than that, I haven't actually seen him play too much. Um, I think probably yeah, Enoch Mwepu or Antoine Bernard might be a player that he he could he could replace eventually in the first team. But but no doubt at his age he will be going to to the feeder club Liefering first as as so many players do. They've made two promising signings this summer. They've also brought in the the defender from uh, Olympique Lyon, uh, Umar Sole. 
um, for 4.5 million. I imagine that he'll go straight to the first team, but that that Samson Tijani will go to to, to Leifering to sort of cut his his teeth there. There are a couple of other really um, interesting talents in the in the current Leifering setup who we might see uh, on the fringes of the first team squad in 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 the coming years. Uh, there's a Nigerian centre forward called Adamu who scored 17 goals this season. I think he's probably benefited from um, Adeyemi's promotion because he's he's now been given the the chance to shine at Leifering. So a, like you say, their scouting network in Africa is incredible. So a, another Nigerian player here. And then there's also a, a Danish central midfielder called Moritz Kjergaard and a, a Swiss-American defender called Brian Oku, who are both uh, hotly tipped. So no doubt, as the Salzburg squad seems to be getting increasingly younger, we'll see them on the fringes of it at, at some point. Definitely so. Um, I suppose that's kind of a, a positive uh, aspect that has come out of uh, the, the Austrian Bundesliga in the past few months, uh, or the Austrian Football League system. And and we were talking about Lask and, and Valerian Ismael's sort of acrimonious departure. But I think one of the one of the good heartwarming, yeah, heartwarming stories of of, of the campaign is um, is again, no pun intended, is Hartberg, and they're sort of you know they've they've done very well this year, you know. Um, they're heading on a, a bit of a European adventure. I mean, Lee, I'll let you, I'll let you take the lead on this one. But you know, what has what has been the case with with Hartberg this season? So Hartberg were promoted two years ago, uh, and they were pretty much everyone's pick to go straight back down. They operate on a shoestring budget. They're a tiny club um, from down in Styria, which is a, a region in the in the south of Austria. Uh, a, a bit of a comical touch. They are also sponsored by Pro Fertile, and they have a, a picture of a sperm on their shirt, which uh, mm-hmm. which always which always amuses fans. But they were everyone's pick to go straight back down. They managed to finish ultimately in the bottom six, but but still survive. And this season, they have really really kicked on. They ended up finishing fifth. And the way it works in Austria is that the side that finishes fifth and the sides that finish I think sixth and or seventh and eighth, they have a, a playoff where the, the sides that finish seventh and eighth play each other in a semi-final. And then there's a final between the winner of that and the fifth place side. I know it's all a bit convoluted, but basically the winner of that tie will then get a berth in the Europa League qualifiers. And that's what Hartberg ultimately did. They beat, you know, a storied club in, in Austria, Vienna in the final. And so they've basically gone from the regional leagues in, in the space of a few years to to playing Europa League football at the start of next season. And it's been a fantastic story. They are a bit of an older squad. So from a scouted football perspective, perhaps not of as much interest as some of the other teams in the Bundesliga, but they play a really, really nice brand of football. And they've got Marcus Schopp as their coach, who, in my opinion, should have been made the the coach of the season. As good a job as Jesse Marsh has done. I think Marcus Schopp has been been absolutely incredible. And you know, he's been linked in, in recent weeks with, with a move to, to the backroom staff at AC Milan. This was at the time when Ralph Ranić was being linked with the job. Um, mm-hmm. Ultimately, unfortunately for Hartberg, he's pledged his future to, to Hartberg ahead of next season. And yeah, it's going to be great to, to watch them in Europe. They, they really deserve it. 
Yeah, certainly so. I mean, yeah, they may not fall under sort of the scouted football under 23 category, but we're always, you know, if they play nice football um, and, you know, it's it's a good story, well, yeah, we're always going to be very interested in that. And speaking of new adventures and the like, um, there is a club who are now on my radar who I hadn't heard of before, but I'll be play, paying close attention to. That's, of course, FC Pinsgau. Um, correct me if I've got the pronunciation wrong, Lee, uh, but yourself, Simon and Tom, who make up uh, the other Bundesliga trio, uh, have embarked on on something of a little Austrian adventure with that. I mean, what's the idea behind it? What is what is the plan going forward? You know, just fill us in. What what's going on with Pinsgau? So they are a club in the the regional leagues in Austria at the moment. That's the third tier. But they're a club with with really big ambitions. They've got um, new American co-owners who have come in and they want to take the club ultimately through the leagues to the to the Bundesliga and hopefully play European football. They first came on our radar about a year ago when we noticed that a club in the Austrian regional leagues has an, had an English Twitter account and they were interacting with us, which which in itself is quite quite unusual, you know, <laughs> at a regional league level. And then on our social channels uh, last September, I think we did a competition where fans could vote for their their best kit in Austria. And, and Pinsgau won that, beating Rapid Vienna in the final. So we've become increasingly aware of them. And so we, we started looking a bit more into their fan ownership model, which really is one of the, you know, the the main, I think, attractions of, of them as a club um, towards the start of this year. And, and even before we became involved with the club, which I'll, I'll talk about in a, in a minute, but even before we became involved with the club, we had talks with their founder, Mark Ciociola, about about investing because it's it's just such an exciting opportunity to, to be a co-owner of, of a football club. And ultimately, what's happened is that they've brought us in to to provide media content for the, for all of their fan owners ahead of ahead of the new season. So for us, that means everything from live match commentary to podcasts to previews. So we're we're really looking forward to the adventure, and and we are fan owners ourselves. So we're we're hoping to see them rise through the leagues in the in the year to come. Yeah, it's really cool. That I remember when. When you announced it on the on the other Bundesliga account, I thought that was such a great initiative to to get involved with. And hey, you know what? If they're just in in, in the regional leagues, the third tier, um, you know, who's not to say that there couldn't be another Hartberg on on the case? Um, might not be winning the best kit of the of of Austrian football awards if they have a sperm on their shirt as well. But <laughs> you know, you never know. Um, it could. Be a, there could be a few Pinsgau players getting featured on, on scouted football in future uh, and certainly some on the other Bundesliga. They've, they've got a very international squad as well, which is quite unusual for a, a club in the regional leagues. So they, I think about 50% of their players are from 11 different countries and they're, they're coached by a former World Cup finalist as well. I'm sure football fans of 90s football will remember Christian Zieger, who's their head coach now. So, yeah, it's, it's a really promising story and I, I'm I, I definitely think that they've got a very good chance of, of promotion to the second tier this season. Yeah, there's so many little offshoots there. I mean, Christian Zieger um, yeah. having a very diverse international squad. There's, I mean, there's plenty to to, to get excited about there. Um, but yeah, no, that's excellent news and, and obviously great to hear things are going well, getting back to normal, etc. Um, I expect that we'll be hearing more exciting things coming out of Austria next season as they did in the past year. Um, Lee, as always, thank you for, for being my, my knowledgeable guest um, for, for today's recording. I'm really keen to see how, how, how everything works out with Pinsgau and, and sort of the continuation of everything that you do um, over at the other Bundesliga as well. Yeah, thanks very much for having me on. It's been a, been a pleasure to talk you through some of the, the highlights um, 
from, from our season here. If I could just do a quick shameless plug, we have done a uh, another Bundesliga podcast episode looking back at all the highlights of Red Bull Salzburg season, which is which is on Spotify as well. So um, yeah, if anyone wants to find out a little bit more about all the goings on there, that's a that's a good one to listen to. But thanks for thanks for having me on, Joe. Always always appreciate the uh, opportunity to talk to you on this pod, and you're doing such great work with uh, with the with the Scouted Football podcast. So so keep it up. Oh, cheers, man. Um, really appreciate that. And definitely, I completely echo that. Um, please do listen to the other Bundesliga podcast as well, because it is just such an immersive look at, at Austrian football. And as you were just saying about Pinsgau, there's so many little offshoots and stories that are going to be intriguing and interesting. Um, so, yeah, definitely get following the other Bundesliga on Twitter if you're not already. Um, you know, not only is it run by three guys who are the authority on Austrian football, they're also top blokes as well. So, you know, the content reflects that perfectly. Yeah, so uh, that's that's all from me. Um, I've been Joe Donoghue, uh, as usual, and, and you've been tuned into the, the very latest from the Scouted Football podcast. Please subscribe, like, rate, review our pod. Follow Scouted Football on Twitter, as well as the other Bundesliga, of course. And if you find some loose change lying about, please consider um, supporting us and, and getting yourself or someone you know uh, a Scouted Football handbook. Um, volume 7 is on its way on that note, so you'll be hearing from us very soon. But that's all from us today. Thank you very much for tuning in. Bye for now.